So, uh, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. They um getting ready to go into the promised land and start the process of the military conquest that's going to have to take place. Um, 20, uh, 24 verses. And so we'll go through this very, uh, if, you, if you've been around the Bible, been around church very much, this starts to get pretty familiar, uh, uh, pretty familiar stories here. So let me, just, let me just start reading. I'm going to read the first. I'll just start with the first verse. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now Joshua says, um, or the Bible says, secretly he sent two spies. Why secretly? Why to keep it a secret? Well, they were going to take over the land, weren't they? I mean, they're the enemy. Well, certainly he keeps it a secret from the, from the, the people of Jericho. But why did he do this secretly with his own people? Yeah, this was a secret from his own people. Mm, probably so. So, so one, he had to make sure that his 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 plans weren't ruined. So let's just keep it a secret. Like it's not like when when our government chooses to do a, a you know some military action, they tell everybody. You know, uh, we find out about it afterwards. Yeah, here's how we're going to take down Bin Laden. Yeah, they just and so part of it is just let's just keep this hush. Only those who need to know need to know. But the other part is. He's sending two people out. Guess who chose who chose those two people? Joshua did. Why was it important for Joshua to choose the two people who would go spy out the land? What happened last time spies went out? And wasn't he one of them? Yeah. What happened last time spies went out? They came back scared. Right. How many of them went out? Two. No. Twelve, Twelve went out. The 12 came back, and how many of them get a bad report? Ten. How many were left to give a good report? Two. I knew there were two. So why did he send out, why did he choose two and send two? Because he wanted a good report. Because he wanted a good report. (laughs) He's like, look, we did this last time, and we let everybody have a say. And ten of them came back, and it was terrible. So I'm going to pick the two that I know are like me and Caleb, mm-hmm. right? Because he and Caleb came back full of faith and courage, right? Those are the two that got the grapes. They were the, yeah, that's right, yeah. So here's, here's just a little side note. Originally, Moses gave one person from every tribe a, a, a voice. Let me just, a little, little leadership lesson. There's three things to consider when you're in leadership and, and you're leading people. Think in terms of this, a view a voice, and a vote. Everybody should get a view of what's going on. Everybody gets to see. Very few people get a voice, get to speak into what you should do. Even fewer get to vote. Okay, a view, a voice, and a vote. Like everybody can see. Like when we, when we bought the Maywood Center, everybody got to see, they got to hear the plans. Very few people got a voice to tell us what we should do. And the ones who got a voice to tell us what we should do were the ones who said, hey, we should do this. And the only ones that got to vote on if we should do it are the ones who were given money to do it. <laughs> a view, a voice, and a vote. It's just a really good leadership principle. The problem is most people and most organizations think everybody deserves a view, everybody has a voice, and everybody gets a vote. That's a problem. That is a problem. It is a problem. And so, and so Joshua's like, okay, I'm not making that mistake again. Last time, 12 of them got a view, 12 of them got a voice, 12 of them got a vote. Not doing that again. I'm going to get two guys. Why? Because me and Caleb got this done last time. So I'm going to get two guys whose heart I know. What was the word that the people just gave to Joshua. About him leading them. He said, we want you to do a couple things. What did they say he, he wanted, they wanted him to do? Be strong and courageous and lead. Right? You better believe he went and got two guys that were strong and courageous. So you guys go do this. Because he knew. What do they said? Tell lawyers, never ask a question you don't know the answer to already. Yeah. So, so you got to, I mean, 
He, he, he sent out two positive guys because he wanted two positive reports. Here's a, choose carefully who you entrust the important stuff to. Choose very carefully who you entrust the important stuff to. Because both things are contagious, fear and faith. They're both highly contagious. And so if we're going to live by faith, we better be very careful what voices we listen to. Because there's a lot of people who live by fear. So, so he sends them out. Joshua, the son of still verse one, secretly sent two spies, said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. In chapter one, Moses, we talked about this last week. Moses sent 12, what? Spies. Spies to go spy out the land. And we talked about how, why do you have to spy out the land? God already told you it was flowing with milk and honey. But, jo- but Joshua here sends out, Two spies. What's the difference? Is there any difference? And if so, what? What do you think? What's the difference in the spying that Moses did and the, to spy out the land and the spying that Joshua is doing here? Is there any difference? And if so, what is it? Joshua plans on taking the land regardless. Oh. Maybe looking for a method or a route to do that. And Moses was like, eh, I'm not sure. We'll see if it's safe. I think you hit the nail on the head, Jamie. Mm. You are a spiritual giant. <laughs> but I, I think part of it is Moses, Joshua wasn't saying, "Hey, go see if we should." This was part of the, part of the part of the, the strategic determination for the military plan that was going to happen. There was no question here. Let's just be smart. Like I'm not going to tempt the spirit and just walk in there like, oh, "Hey, guys, we're here to take over your land." Like, let's be wise about this, right? Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So let's be smart about this. But at the same time, um, we're going to trust that God's going to do it. This was not to see if it was worth pursuing. This was strategic planning because we're going to do this. This wasn't checking to make sure that God's word was good or that he was good at his word. This is because we're doing this. Let's do it the best way we can. Right? So that's the difference. So they went into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, Richard's Bible probably has a different word than prostitute. She was a prostitute. Okay, look at that. Your Bible finally says what my Bible says. Does anybody's translation say something different? Look at your footnote. Harlot. Harlot? That's it? That's all your Bible? Okay, well, I got a real old Bible, and... The footnote says innkeeper. She was an innkeeper. You don't have any of that where in your footnotes there says innkeeper. It, uh, it might sound, but here's the thing. Josephus wanted to make sure that the spies were cleared of any accusation of wrongdoing. And so the translation began to be understood as innkeeper rather than prostitute. Mine supports you a little bit. <laughs> and this, I guess, would be a, a good place for a prostitute. She said that her house was an ideal location for a quick escape because it was built into the city wall. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the, the, the word innkeeper that it was changed to was an effort to, in some translation, it will say innkeeper. I'm just telling you. Because it was, it was an effort to protect the spies from any perceived wrongdoing. The interesting thing is that in the ancient language and in Hebrew, prostitute and innkeeper are synonymous. They're used the same. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, she was a prostitute. We can't get around that. The prostitute house was the only place she could remain undetected. Because it's not like they can walk up to a hotel and say, hey, we're Hebrews, obviously. Can we have a room? And everybody would know. And so, um, now, verse 15, exactly what you were saying, Richard, tells us that her house was part of, in in the exterior wall of Jericho, um, houses were built into the wall. It was like like, uh, apartments, houses all up and down. And it was built into the wall. Um, And there's no, some people have said she was a temple prostitute and these guys were, you know, not really worshiping Jehovah and all, all this crazy stuff. There's no indication that she was a temple prostitute. There's no indication that she was anything other than a prostitute. Um, 
She was a working girl. You know, I mean, that's just who she was. The Bible says here, um, she entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is really interesting, this language. The word stayed can mean literally to lie down to sleep, or it can as credibly mean to lie down for sex. It could mean either one. And there's no, the text itself gives us no indication as which one this is. Mm. Nope, the text itself does not. Okay. Uh, the text itself does not. It says she's a prostitute and they, they stayed there. Meaning they either lie down to sleep or they lie down for sex. And it's just interesting to me that God, um, let me just say this. That sometimes God doesn't get hung up on those details and doesn't try to gloss over stuff and make sure that everybody, you know, is, is not, you know, easily offended. It, it depends on what you believe about these people. It's highly unlikely. And now remember, they're being strategic. They know their lives are on the line. It's highly unlikely that they engaged in Rahab's professional services because they were under the threat of death and to get in, spy out, and get out. So maybe if this were a James Bond movie, they would have a segue into something else, you know. But, uh, but in this, it's just, I don't want to say that there's no way because the Bible says, the Bible gives no indication. But in my mind, there's no way because of who these people were and strategically, militarily what they were doing. And they're not going to stay with uh, the mayor of the town. Not at all. Like I said, they had to go here because nobody would know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that if, if, if any people who are really uncomfortable with the facts of how things go down try to explain this any other way than what the Bible says, I'm just telling what the Bible says. And and you can you can draw your own conclusions from it. I, I don't. I don't, by any stretch, believe anything nefarious happened here because it wasn't the quality of these people and it wasn't the time for any of that, I mean, because of what they were, what they were on task to do. Especially because in chapter 1, it was so clear that God said, do what the, God's word says. Exactly. Do. Yeah, don't, don't, don't deter from the right or to the left. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even back in those days, prostitution was still a no-no. Yeah. For the, though... <laughs> giants of the faith still engaged in it. But doesn't mean it was right. Uh, verse 2 and 3. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. How did he know? Who knows? Kings have eyes everywhere. It's the king. Now, these cities were, in essence, city-states. So each city had their own city-state king. Um, The fact that these Israelites had come to spout the land was horrible news for the people of Jericho. We're going to find out in verses 9-10-11 that the word of had spread about who God was and what God had did on their behalf. And they they were shaken in their boots. It made sense, if you think about it, it made sense that if the king hears that spies are in, in, in land, on the ground, it makes sense that he would go to the prostitute to ask. Why? Because typically a prostitute is going to have connections with people who are working under the radar. And the king knows they can't just walk into any hotel. they got to stay somewhere. So why not go to the red light district? That's probably where they'll be. Um. And the king expected Rahab to do her what? Why was Jericho the first city that they... Good question. I didn't get into this in my study, but I'll just tell you. It was the first city on the, on, on the path where they had to go to get into the, into oh, the promised the land. Through the, they had to That's go the past. The, this was a big militarized outpost city. And they couldn't, they couldn't advance into the land of Canaan without going through this area first. So they had to take this down so they weren't attacked as they... Because what was coming were more cities. And if they didn't take this down on this they path... Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the king expected Rahab to do her patriotic duty. And a thing called the Code of Hammurabi... I don't know if you've heard of that before. 
the Code of Hammurabi said one of the things that that, um, that that was part of the Code of Hammurabi was this, that you could not enact a greater punishment against someone than the offense that they did. Uh, and so originally, before the Code of Hammurabi was around, if someone tripped you and you, 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 you knocked out your, your tooth, you could go cut off their arm. I mean, it was just like whatever vengeance you wanted. So the Code of Hammurabi came along and said that, that you can only do what they have done to you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I say, do good to those who harm you. So there was, do whatever you want and get retribution. Code of Hammurabi that said, no, 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 eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And then there was Jesus. Said, Let me give you a better way. So the Code of Hammurabi was a big deal. And one of the things that that, that that code said that if felons are together in a prostitute's house and she does not notify the, the authorities or bring them in, she should be put to death. So this was in place. So she knew that by letting them in, without turning them in, she was putting her and her entire family's life in danger. Okay? So, so the king says... You better turn them in because you know what's going to happen if you don't. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when the time, uh, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Hmm. So... In Joshua 6, 17, we know that Joshua explains that Rahab was spared because, she, because of this act right here. Because she spared the spies. It was, this was a big deal. But Rahab lied, right? In both what she said and what she did. Does anybody have a problem with that? More times, things are different. Yeah, the cu- couple things. One... Um, Deception is always important in war. You can't have a, you can't you can't go into warfare without deception, right? I mean, it's exactly what you're saying, Brenda. Um, and 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 when she hid the spies, she sided with Israel and God's plan and put her life and her family in danger. Was it a sin to lie? It's always a sin to lie. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not lie except for. Um, it's still a sin. But one thing we got to realize is she's still a heathen and under God's law. Like, she, there's nothing to her to lie. She's a prostitute and she does other stuff too. That's a sin. You know, it was just like was, there, was no, there was no God's law that was direct in her life. So she just did what you normally do if she's siding with the enemy. Um, and, and my Bible says it wasn't the first time she had hidden people from the authorities. Probably not. There's so, no way we know that. But, so it was a little more than a war thing. But she knew exactly what to do, especially if she had to hide them from prostitution. From their wives who are coming looking for them. <laughs> um, but I also look at this and I think, you know what? This is just so cool who God is. Because he chooses to use sinful people to accomplish his work. I just love that. Like, you don't have to have your stuff together. Like, I'm, my holiness is holy enough to work within your unholiness. I still get stuff done. Um. And it is crazy to me that some people have more issue with her lying than her profession. Because <laughs> that's how religious, us religious people like to be sometimes. We pick the little things um, and camp out. Anyway, she did it with no big deal. Now she says, now go after them quickly. Why do you think she said, now go after them quickly? I don't know where they went, but they're out of here. Go after them quickly. Well, because in parents it said she, t- she hid them away under the roof. Is what I've got here. But why did she say go after the go after them quickly? It's not a house. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. If you have paraphernalia laying around, you don't want mom and dad looking around your bedroom too long, right? Right? You got something behind the door you want me to see. You stick your head out so I can help you. No, okay, and you shut the door real quick, right? And so she's hoping that they'll just go, just just go. Um, the longer they stay around, the greater chance something they might discover something. I mean, this is a pretty this is a pretty sharp lady here. She's pretty crafty. Uh, verse six. 
parentheses, but she had taken them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of flax so that she laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, let, let's, let, let's, let's take everything we've learned in last week and this week and kind of start putting this together. Now, the roofs in, 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 in ancient times and still in modern times in Israel were flat. And they're flat for a reason. They're, in the evening times, sun's going down. You go up there, you have your tea or your hookah or whatever you're going to have up there. And it's cool and you relax. And it's like, oh, this is good. You watch the sun go down. and it's. But they're also used uh, for the production of, of, of produce. And so they get the crops or whatever that are wet, that need to be dried. They take them up to the roof. They string them up. They lay them out. They dry them out. So they can be utilized. It was very common to, 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 to store produce up on your roof that had to be dried. So this was a super common. Everybody did this. Now, Rahab was smart. Because it was not uncommon to have piles of produce up on a roof. Now, remember. What time of year was it? Harvest, Harvest time. Do you remember how we talked about they walk up on the river, it's overflowing, and initially we think, oh my gosh, why did God bring us now? And we learned last week that he brought them there at harvest time. Why? Food. So they had food when they got in. Because once they got in the promised land, the manna stopped. And if the manna stopped once they got in and it wasn't harvest time when the river was overflowing, they'd have no food. And remember how we talked about how when we, what we see as difficulties and floods are really preparations for our future and for prosperity? See, like we have to rearrange how we see the difficulties and the floods. Remember how we talked about God is with us in the floods, but he's the God of the harvest? And so they walk up to the flood stage river and they think, no, why? And God says, relax. It has to be during this time. I'm going to get you across, but I'm going to walk you into abundance. You know why she had so much produce up on her roof so she could hide the spies? Because it was harvest time. Had it not been harvest time, she wouldn't have had all this produce up there. Had she not had all this produce up there, it couldn't have hit the spies. God is really good at timing. He's really good at it. And sometimes he walks us to flooded rivers. And all we see is the flood and the danger and the difficulty, and we don't see the harvest. And there's all kinds of reasons God took the people of the Jordan at flood stage because he was setting up their deliverance. He knew that there were two guys that needed to be hidden. And he had to do it at harvest time. So she would have the resources to hide them. Difficulties and floods. They can't, not all the time, but they can't be setups for our future. So let's just remember that, right? Let's remember that. So she hides him under there. Verse 7. The men set out in pursuit of the spies, and the roads that lead to the fords of the Jordan, as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, they went to the road that leads to the fords of the river. What, what were the fords of the river? We're not talking Chevys and Dodges, not, not that, but what were the fords of the river? Where there was a raft to get across. Exactly, Charlotte. They there were the narrow, shallow places of the river where you could cross it without grave danger. Mm. But what season was it? Flood. Flood. Flood season. So apparently, apparently there were still some narrow places shallow enough to cross the river safely. Apparently, God can limit floods to help his people. Sometimes he'll ask us to walk through them because he's setting up the future. And sometimes he'll say, no, don't worry about it. I got you this time. That's just his goodness. And he gets to choose which area of the river we cross at which time. And every time it's for his glory and our benefit. Somehow. Some of the rivers will cross will be easy. Why do people get so worked up about this? It's no big deal. And sometimes it'll be flood stage. You've got to step into the thing and it stops flowing 12 miles upstream. And you don't even see that it stopped already. And all you know is I'm stepping in a torrent. 
But God is the God of the flood. He's in with us in the flood. He's the God of the harvest. And he's really good at timing. I could preach that sometime, like the lesson of the river. That would that could preach. Right? I got to be honest with you. If I was there, I might start walking up river. To, to what? To check. You know, if I could get to 12 miles to see if it stopped. Oh, <laughs> before you stepped in. That's funny. All right, verse 8 and 9. Well, I'm glad you're here and not there, Richard. Me too. The Bible would be very different. <laughs> before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Hmm. Don't miss what the Bible says. One, it is incredible to me how much Rahab knew of God's plans for Israel's future. She knew his plans. One of God's plans in the Exodus, and you can read about this in Exodus 7, 5. One of God's plans was to make the fact of his plans known to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. He said, I'm going to do this so that Pharaoh and all Egypt will know that I've given you this land that you're walking into. And so when God makes a plan, it's going to come true. And his fame and his plans have spread. She knows. It's spread all the way from Egypt. Now, they've had 40 plus years. They've had 40 years. And so it's spread all through, all through the land. Like God's reputation is going before his people. Please understand that's still true for us. That if we walked in the assurance of God's reputation, we would never be fearful of what we're walking into. Right? And she says, what, what does she say? I know, so what does she say? The Lord. I know that the Lord what? I, now, don't miss what the Bible says. I know that the Lord has given this land. This is past tense. Yeah. She speaks of the future as a foregone conclusion that has already happened. The thing that amazes me about people in Scripture who get it, they speak with confidence of the thing that has already happened even though they've never seen it. Faith is the, what's the Bible say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we haven't even seen yet. This is a woman of faith. And we see before our eyes her this faith transformation in her. And she speaks as this has already happened. Hmm. Once God has declared a thing, it has been done, even if we don't see it yet, or experience it yet. It's done. And she doesn't call him your God. Yeah, really. I thought that was Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she says this great fear has fallen on the people. You'll go back and read Exodus 15, 15, the last part of 15 and 16, and it talks about this great fear. Like... This is a done thing. So verse 10, 11, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She said, we heard about the, the, the Red Sea deal. That's back in Exodus 14, verses 21 and 31. She says, we've heard about the King Sihon and Og. That's back in Numbers 21, verses 21 through 35. She said, we've heard about how you'd completely destroy the Amorites. All these people walk, living in that area completely. Anonymous. We've heard the stories. And because we've heard what God has done through you, our hearts melted and everybody's courage failed. Here's morale is a major factor when we're serving God, and morale is a major factor for our victorious living. That's why God said, "Be strong and courageous. Keep your keep your chin up." That's why the people told Joshua, "Be strong and courageous." Morale is important. We would call it momentum. The Bible says in Romans twelve eleven, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord." Patient of fiction, faithful in prayer, generous to all. Here, here's what I know. Uh, is that f- fear is contagious and can be the forerunner to defeat. And faith is contagious and is the forerunner to victory. 
when God called Gideon to take 300, he didn't know it at the time, but God only wanted 300 people. Gideon had to whittle them away. The first thing Gideon did, Judges 7.3, was excuse everybody who was fearful. Because if we're going to walk a victorious life, we're going to walk with God, we cannot be surrounded by people who are fearful. And we've talked about this before. What's the opposite of faith? Fear. Fear, not doubt. Fear. Uh, There have been a few different times at different points in my life when things were going on with my family, with my kids, and as I talked to other other men about it, I, I, I know vividly who the guys were that spoke faith into my life and who the guys were that shared their fear with me. And some of those guys, I've told them, don't you dare ever again speak your fear into my life. And so you kind of learn after a while. If I, if I'm, what am I going to get here? Am I going to get faith or am I going to get fear? Let me just tell you, don't invest any time or any story in anyone who's going to speak their fear into your story. You don't need that. Because fear is contagious. Uh, and, and so... And so, and so God, no, uh, here's, here's the thing, like, like, we're responsible, we're, we're responsible and, and we have the authority to create courage and to create momentum. And, and, and if, it, it, if ourselves or people in our life don't have courage and momentum and faith, then we need to create some. And the Bible says we get to do that. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. When someone is full of zeal and fervor, guess what? They're full of faith. It's the antidote to fear. And so, like God's moving before them. He says, I'm going to take care of their hearts so they crumble before you. You just be strong and courageous. Right? What does Paul tell Timothy? We've not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of Power and love and a sound mind. We have to understand that fear is not just an emotion. Fear is a spirit. And when we let that spirit in, we're being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. And the high point of this whole chapter comes from this this heathen prostitute. And she says... Uh, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What a crazy proclamation of faith from a pagan. Mm-hmm. How'd she learn all this? I mean, maybe she wasn't a pagan. No, she was. But she was sure knowledgeable of the Lord and his ways and okay, so future. <laughs> great question. And here's what, I, here's what I know from scripture. A couple things. One. But Paul tells us in Romans, the invisible qualities of God, his power, his eternal nature can be seen clearly by what has been made. So she wasn't without witness. The Bible says, you know that there is a God out there. You can, everybody knows, but by what's been seen, what's been seen. So that's one thing I know. Another thing I know from scripture is that it is not us who seek God. It is God who seeks us first. God who has been pursuing her her whole life. She wasn't aware of it at the time, but God had been pursued. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but all should have eternal life. It's the loving kindness that calls us to God. Like those things are unchangeable and eternal. Those stories were in play in her life when she was a little girl. And whatever steps she lived through to get her to the place of living as a prostitute, we can play those out in our minds. We know, we know. God was pursuing her through all of those things. And finally puts her in this position to hear now, not just see from what's been made, not just feel this. I know I'm made for something greater than this. I'm more than a prostitute. I don't know who I am, but I know I'm more than that. And then to be in a position to hear this work of this incredible God that has done these miracles. And then to come in contact with two of God's people. What what choice does she have but to say, Finally, it makes sense. The God I felt out there somewhere, the God I know has something has more. And now I meet there. Yes, sign me up. That's how I think it happens. 
And this, to me, is evidence of her conversion finally. Because what's the Bible say? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Yeah, Brenda. You know, God or Joshua didn't need those spies to hmm. do what they did in order to do what God told them to do to bring mm-hmm. the city down. Mm-hmm. I almost think they were just there because of Rahab. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, you look at the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an amazing story. But it is, Brenda. If they hadn't sent the spies in, it wouldn't be part of... Yeah, I don't think Rahab was there for the spies' benefit. I think the spies were there for Rahab's benefit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you play this out, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Their entire plan for how to save her was of no avail. Like their whole plan meant nothing. She added nothing to them. Except salvation was added to her and her household. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It's amazing. You know, every time I read the Bible, I think, you know, God is pretty good. <laughs> Verses 12, 13, 14. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Um, Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she says, um, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. That word kindness is a Hebrew word has said, which means covenant love. And it's all through the Psalms of God's love for us. And it's a reciprocal relationship of caring. Because I, I do this for you because I love you. And your response out of love for me is this. And we see it all through the Psalms of God's love for us and our response to him. Not out of duty, but out of love because of love he showed us. And she said, because I've loved you in this way, I expect you to love me back in this way. Uh, and when she says, give me a sure sign, literally, it's an emphatic statement of spare our lives. Because we've risked them for you. I like this woman. Now... When she said spare our lives, there's no indication that she included in that the expectation to be included as part of their family. The expectation was take us as slaves. We're fine with that. Just don't kill us. That was her expectation. She had no expectation of being included in the family line of the Messiah. She had no expectation. She just wanted, just let me be a beggar in your house. Just don't kill me, right? How many people say, look, I, I just want to get into heaven. I don't need a man. I'll live in the back 40. I'll be a janitor. I don't need to. That's what she was saying. But this again tells me of how good God is and how God works. That we always get greater grace than we deserve. Always. And we always get greater blessing than we expect. And we always get, there's always a greater plan than what's seen. With God, it's always that way. And I wonder how many times we come begging for crumbs from the table. And he says, I would love to feed you as a child. Why do you settle for crumbs? Like, yeah, we're going to spare you, but you're not going to be a slave. Like, you're going to be in the line of the Messiah. The things I have in store for you. What's that verse that says? He's able to do exceedingly more beyond, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. One thing I know is God is a more than God. And it would be great if we start living with that kind of expectation of faith. She was an incredible woman, though. Absolutely she was. Absolutely. No more incredible than you, Richard. Yeah, right. <laughs> 15 and 16. I'm done. <laughs> so she let them down by a rope through the window for her house, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. 
And so, like Rich said earlier, Richard, this huge some of these some of these city walls were so wide you could race three chariots side by side and you know around them. They were amazing structures. And so the, 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 this she lived on the outside of uh, uh, of the wall, and so it was it was easy secret access. You know, let these guys down. Nobody knows. Watch what happens. And the men said to her, "The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless." When we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. For anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Oh, and then uh, uh, 21. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, the spies, three conditions for her. Put the scarlet cord in the window so we'll know which house is yours when we come and tack. Make sure your whole family's in the house, and you got to keep this a secret. If you abide by what we say, we'll protect you. If you go out on your own and do your own thing, you suffer the consequences. A lot like obedience to God and sin. Right? So, I know some people have made great to-do about a scarlet cord. Uh, about it's uh, reminiscent of the, you know, the, 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 the blood of Christ. And if that's like the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and the death angel passed over at the Passover, the Exodus. Well, the scarlet cord, the stream of Christ's blood is what saves us and all that stuff. And... Um, you know, that preaches really, really well, but there's no uh, typological relationship anywhere in Scripture about a scarlet cord and the blood of Jesus. Although it preaches really well, uh, but it just happened to be a scarlet cord. Now, at this point, did anybody have any idea how God was going to deliver Jericho into their hands? No. What do you think the expectation of how God's going to deliver them? A battle. A house by house Guerrilla warfare. That's why she said, keep them in your house. If they're there, they're protected. Why? Because when we come house by house, if what do you say? If they're in the streets, they're dead. Why? Because everybody, we're, we're. And so they had, no, the expectation was house by house warfare. They had no idea that the walls were going to fall down. Let me ask you this. If Rahab's house was in the wall and the walls Fell down. How did she live? She was in a tower, wasn't she? Like a, kind of off to the... Rapunzel, Rapunzel. <laughs> <laughs> I picture a tower in that. Let, let, let's, let's make sure we're not reading things into what's not here. It doesn't necessarily say that the entire circumference of the wall fell down exactly all at the same time. Not necessarily. And so it could fall down and fall down and run in and fall down and, fall and run in so that she could still be in the house and then get out as the stuff is crumbling around her. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I think about that, I think about this, that God will do enough to get done what he wants done. And somehow she definitely was in the wall as they walked around seven times. And somehow, as the wall starts falling down, she's got enough time to get out. Now, she's probably not up on the top of the wall either. Because the scarlet cord is not 100 feet tall. You know what I'm saying? And so maybe she's on the second floor, you know? And so it's not, it's not so difficult to just jump out real quick. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. If she's living in the wall and the walls fall down, how does she live? But... There's all kinds of ways it could have happened. Now watch this. This is crazy. Um, verse 22 through 24. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of men, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So... They obviously crossed the 
swollen river with no miracle needed. So maybe at this point, um, the river had subsided at different points where they could cross without, without needing a miracle. Um, again, God has got a perfect timing, and he'll either get you across either by miracle or by timing. Like, like he's, he's going to deliver you. And it'll either be miraculous or it'll be just simple timing. It worked out that way. Uh, verse 24, what incredible difference between the reports of the first spies and these spies, right? Mm-hmm. What incredible difference. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. They are petrified because of us. I, I love how this chapter ends. Because think about how it could have gone. They could have come back like this. I don't, I don't know. The king knows we're coming. Like he sent his guys to find us. The troops are following us right now. They're searching the hills. They were at the river right where we crossed the day before we got there. The city's on high alert. I, I, the only one we have helping us is some hooker living in a wall. But what good is that going to be? Right? Like, let's put ourselves, our own selves, not our Bible self, our real self, in their shoes. We go back. Josh, okay, how'd it go? Huh. I don't know, man. I mean, I thought we got in and out without being notified, without being seen, but freak, the king knows we're coming. I mean, he's got troops looking. They've activated their soldiers. They got the special forces looking for us. They were hot on our trail. We barely got across the river because they were right there. We got some lady that sleeps around with everybody. She's probably sleeping with some of the king's people to t- tell on us. We're going to trust ourselves to a prostitute's word? I know, Joshua, you better figure something out. <laughs> right? If it were us? I mean, if it, not our Bible self. Because our, you know, Richard's Bible self is a, that's, he's right on target. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it says, if everybody has a good Bible. Yeah. <laughs> but these guys, these guys weren't of that character. They knew that God had already given it their hands. It didn't matter if the king knew they were coming. It didn't matter if the troops were following. It didn't matter if the shit on high alert. It didn't matter if all they had on their side was a hooker. Rather, these guys were exactly who they told Joshua to be, strong and courageous. Joshua was told by God, and he was told by them, you just be strong and courageous. They said the Lord has surely given the whole land in our hands. It's done. I don't care what all this stuff, it's done. And as I was reading that and coming to the end of this, I thought this, I thought, it is beautiful when the people have the same faith and courage that they want their leaders to have. I thought, when I first read it, <laughs> that regardless of your occupation, you can always do good in God's kingdom. Absolutely. Sure. Now, he might want you to change that occupation after you come to him. Well, but uh, let's, yeah, let's keep reading. Yeah, well, she does change her occupation. And, <laughs> and got married. And Yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but absolutely. But so. what, what did they see that it wasn't, it obviously wasn't anything they saw. That what? That made them say... We got this. Yeah, apparently what they saw would convince them otherwise. That's what they heard. Well, let's remember what the Bible says. You walk by faith, not by sight. So it doesn't matter what they saw. They're walking in faith before they saw anything. So when they saw the king and they saw the troops and they saw the prostitute, that didn't matter what they saw because they were walking by faith. And faith dispels fear. So they could go back and say, oh, it doesn't matter. They didn't tell, <laughs> they didn't tell Joshua anything of what they saw. Mm-mm. They didn't tell him about the king. They didn't tell him about the people that were on their tail. They didn't tell him about, I mean, really, they didn't tell him anything about what they saw. They just tell them, they just spoke their faith. Yeah, God's given it to us. No problem. Just amazing people. You know, questions, comments, cries of outrage? Do we ever get to know who they were? 
Who are the spies? These two guys were. I don't think we ever do. Hmm. Hmm. It's kind of cool. No. Yeah. In heaven, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll be sitting in the corner. Yeah, it was us. <laughs> Nobody ever knows our names. Fine, whatever. I want to meet Rahab. God got the glory. All right. <laughs> yeah. We good? Makes me want to. Um, I have so many thoughts. I mm. just love the picture of how God pursued Rahab mm-hmm. so relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Like, you're saying the whole thing could have just been to save her, and like how mm-hmm. He's like that with us. Mm-hmm. Like it's just beautiful. But also the story, like how she heard about the yeah. Lord, and how we have to be so careful to make sure we're sharing God's faithfulness to the next generation, mm-hmm. so that they can. Like I want my great great grandchildren to know what Jesus did in my life. There they you won't go. Ever meet me. That's awesome. But if they can hear about God's faithfulness in my life, like. Mm-hmm. We had like that's what they did, and that's mm-hmm. why the Lord said, "Make a monument, build, so we yeah. don't forget." Like yeah. we gotta pass that down. Yeah, Brenda, know, made that a, awesome. Brenda made a book. That's really cool. Past, past God's stories. God's stories. Oh, that's yeah. really neat. That's very right. cool. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. I asked my dad. Mm. I gave him a book of a hundred questions, and I asked oh. him to tell his story mm. when he was a little boy. I met mom. I came to faith. I like all this stuff. And some of it has nothing to do with Jesus, and some of it is profoundly um, impactful about how God interacted in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been neat to, you know, start sharing that with my sons. Mm-hmm. And Shelly made this jar at home, and in it are different artifacts, little, uh, I don't know, trinkets that tell a story to us. Mm-hmm. One of them is a tape measure, because when Wyatt was born, he had hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. And so we had always measured his head. Mm-hmm. And so it's the tape measure. And it reminds us of hydrocephalus mm-hmm. and how God healed him. Mm-hmm. There's a flip side sticker because this is part of our story. Mm-hmm. There's all these. There, there's the mm-hmm. dog tags for Joe. Like there's all these cool. things. And somehow telling the story yeah. mm-hmm. of this where God intersected our lives. It's like your pile of rocks. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, I, I think that's real. I need to do a better job of that. It, I, I, because you do, you think I want my, all my sons to know the totality of this, and I want my grandkids to know the totality. I want my great grandkids to. I love the fact, Brenda, that you wrote a book about it. That's really cool. Yeah, I think you should. Honestly, like, yes. the legacy that's being yes. left behind is only that what's on social media. So, yep. two generations from now, if they look at their great grandparents. Like they'll be singing about COVID, and like, yeah. they're not going to be singing about God's faithfulness. Yeah. You know, mm, like, yeah. Mm. yeah. Someday mm. we'll just be a picture on a piano. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 a piano? People have pianos then? Yeah. You're showing your age, Scott. <laughs> well, I heard this new metaverse that Facebook is 